For scripture reading this morning, I will be I will be reading Ephesians two verses one through ten. Ephesians two verses one through ten. And included in this passage is what I consider one of the great conjunctions of the English language concerning the gospel. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children's, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God's blessing and peace rest upon us this morning. Some weeks ago when James asked me if I would preach this morning, I, I hesitated uh, a bit. It's been three years since I've preached, four years since I've preached here at Calvary. Wasn't sure if I could do it or not, but we'll find out here shortly. But there's another reason uh, that I felt good about accepting this this morning something that James didn't know when he asked. But this message this morning bookends my 40-year preaching career. Next Sunday, actually next Monday, August 7th, will mark 40 years since I was ordained to the ministry. It may be of interest to you to know that Brother Linford's father, Roger, was ordained in the same service and Judith's father, Glenn Good, shared the lot with us that day. The next Sunday, August 14, 1977, I preached my first sermon at what was then our home congregation, Pike Mennonite Church, south of Harrisonburg. So I'm grateful, and since then I've preached something over 700 sermons, but I assure you this one this morning is a fresh one. Um, it's new. So I'm grateful this morning for the privilege of sharing what may well be my last sermon 
here at the congregation that we have called home for the past 16 years. So what does it mean to be a Christian? In Ephesians 5, the first two verses, uh, our text for the message this morning, says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <clears throat> There's a lot of confusion in the world today, in society, about what constitutes being a Christian. The term Christian is tossed about uh, we hear Christian this and Christian that. It's become a rather generic term. It refers to many things outside of its basic and primary meaning. Jesus said there in Matthew 7, 21, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, not everything or everyone labeled Christian is truly Christian. So let's examine the issue. America has been in the past at least called a Christian nation. America was founded on Christian principles, principles of justice and fairness and equality but as we well know, America is fast becoming a secular nation. Religion is on the decline. So does it mean that being an American makes everyone in America a Christian? Certainly not. Some months ago, um, it was, had a conversation. There's a, we rent storage to a food distribution outfit out of Richmond, and the local distributor was off, and the owner of the business was taking care of things locally. I introduced myself, and he gave me his card. Obviously, he was Mideastern. But then one evening as I was leaving work, I <clears throat> noticed he was down at the unit and I stopped and I said, well, how are you today? He said, I'm blessed. And I thought, hmm. So I said, are you a believer? He said, no, I'm a Muslim. <clears throat> and that led to a very interesting conversation. But in the course of the conversation, Assad said this. He said, on the cul-de-sac where I live in Richmond, everybody else is, is Christian. And I thought, well, <laughs> that would be nice. I wondered what he meant. And I have come to the conclusion that there is such a thing as cultural Christianity. Christian as being opposed to being a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Confucian or an animist. 
Now, most of us this morning have been brought up in Christian homes, raised in a Christian environment. But does that make us automatically Christian? Certainly not. Family heritage, cultural background are all helpful, but in themselves, they do not make one a Christian. It takes a personal experience. So if simply being American or non-Muslim or non-adherent to some other uh, religion or if being raised in a Christian family does not make one a Christian, what does? What does it really mean to be a Christian? In our text verses, <clears throat> says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So these verses indicate that one who has experienced the effects of Christ's sacrificial death will now imitate God, expressing his characteristics in their lives. That is the defining factor. We know that all mankind is born in sin as a result of Adam and Eve's transgression in the garden. And Ephesians 2.12 clearly states that those outside of Christ's redeeming act are without God, without hope. They are lost. They're doomed, helpless, and hopeless. The next verse indicates or states that only by the blood of Christ can this hopeless situation be reversed. So how does this happen? You recall the conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus is recorded there in John 3, where in response to Nicodemus' question, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It was not the fact that Nicodemus was a Jew of the chosen race, or that he was a Pharisee, or that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, none of these would get him into God's kingdom. Jesus said, you must be born again, born from above. Something had to change in his life, in his heart. And so there in that conversation, we discover that it's impossible to imitate God, as our text verse indicates, unless we have been born into his family. And that indicates a radical transforming experience. It's the experience that transforms a sinner into a saint. Colossians 1.13, uh, as Colossians 1.13 states, it means being transformed from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom controlled by Satan, the kingdom into which we were born, into the kingdom of God's Son, the kingdom of light. And that transfer, that experience, we call the new birth. 
Now, birth in the natural realm is a traumatic experience. The infant who has been sheltered and provided for in the safety of its mother's womb is suddenly thrust into an entirely different and somewhat hostile atmosphere. Is it any wonder that they bawl? The new birth experience is also a traumatic experience, issuing in a radically and a dramatically different and changed atmosphere of living. As we noted above, it's a transfer from the darkness of sin into the light of God. <clears throat> 71 years ago, at the age of 12, I made that radical change. There was a struggle going on in my life, and I remember yet the release, the relief that came when I submitted myself to the control of the Lord Jesus. So what are the evidences of this new life? How do we know that one has been born again, that one is now following Christ? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, says that the person who is in Christ is now a new person. The things of the old life have passed away, and the individual has now put on the habits and the characteristics of the new life, the life in Christ, a life that imitates our Father God. <clears throat> there is a noticeable change, an observable difference in the life. The passage that <clears throat> Schuyler read from Ephesians 2 this morning explains that. Paul starts out here in writing to the Ephesians, he says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world, following the fleshly desires. But then in verse 5, but God. God in his mercy and grace provided a way out of that hopelessness of sin into the new life in Christ. Back in the mid-40s, 1940s, there was a man in the Dayton area by the name of Ralph Milstead. He was, by his own testimony, a drunkard. He said a bad drunkard. He got saved. His life turned around. He joined the church, and he wrote a tract entitled A Drunkard's Testimony. He was an entirely changed man. It was obvious to see that this man had come from the darkness of sin into the light of Christ. It was observable in his life. <clears throat> A Christian, one who has submitted himself to the Lordship of Christ, no longer lives to fulfill the desires of the flesh, the self-life, but he lives or of the life that is directed to fulfilling the base uh, desires of the flesh, but rather he lives a life that imitates God by putting on and living out his characteristics. Parents, we parents, expect our children 
to behave the way they have been taught, uh, to follow established family rules. God expects the same of his children. Those who have been born into his family, he expects to live according to his principles, to follow his rules. And he has given us his word, his written word, uh, as a rule book for Christian living. It tells us what we must do and what we must not do. Teaches us how to behave in the family of God, our Heavenly Father. I found it interesting that the first verse in today's adult Sunday school lesson from Deuteronomy 10 fits so well with the text this morning. It says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. God's command to the children of Israel, God's command to his children today, follow me, walk in my footsteps, imitate my characteristics in your life. So how do we go about living this life, maintaining that relationship? To consistently live the Christian life, one must separate themselves from close association with the ungodly. And this is true not only in the initial experience of salvation, but in ongoing relationships. In 2 Corinthians 6, the believer is admonished to not yoke himself with unbelievers, but to separate himself from the ungodly, from the unrighteous, <clears throat> from those who are still walking in darkness. The scripture calls them infidels, the unclean. God says, separate yourselves from them and follow me, and then I will accept you um, as you disassociate yourself from the evil influence and follow my directions for holy living. <clears throat> Scripture says in that passage that light and darkness do not mix. The children of God and the ch children of Satan find nothing in common. The believer and the infidel are not in agreement. Christ and Satan have nothing in common. The key word there is separation. In our baptismal vow, we promise to renounce Satan, the world, and all the works of darkness. And it also adds, and your own carnal will and sinful desires. There's a change that comes into the life. As we know, human tendency is naturally bent towards sin. But with the help of God's Spirit, who comes into our life with the new birth, we are enabled to live above these sinful desires and to live with God's righteousness controlling our lives. Christians are different, noticeably different. 
They are different because they have been born anew, born from above. They have gone through the metamorphosis of change, a change of character, change of life. And that change, that new birth, is evidenced by a new direction of life, new attitudes, new standards, new friends. Some time ago, I was in conversation with another of our renters. Tom is a Quaker, and with what I would call somewhat loose theology, but we were discussing the state of the world uh, today, and Tom made this statement. He said, if people would just live or just exercise the fruit of the Spirit, we would have a better world. And I agreed. But I reminded Tom that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, these are not normal human characteristics. These can be exercised only by the one who has been transformed and infilled with the Spirit of God. Tom and I sort of separated our thinking at that point. He wasn't so sure, but I am confident. These spirit fruits are exercised only by the person who is in is under the control of God's spirit. It's impossible to exercise these without the energizing and infilling influence of the spirit of God. So where does all of this bring us to this morning? What is the bottom line here? Where do you stand? When you look into the mirror, what do you see? An American or a non-Muslim or non-Buddhist or Hindu? Or do you see a bona fide born-again Christian, a follower of God, one of his dear children? Have you been radically born again? Have you experienced the transformation from a life controlled by sinful desires to one directed by the Spirit of God? Do you find joy in meeting with the people of God? Do you express delight in doing the will of God? Is his written word an important factor in your daily life? Does his Spirit control your life, your thoughts, your actions, your desires. These are indications of the new life. If perchance you find yourself this morning outside of God's family, not imitating God's character in your life, not experiencing God's forgiveness, his love, his guidance, I encourage you, do something about it. 
The scripture in 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to declare yourself one of God's dear children. So if you are not sure, or if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, talk to a trusted Christian friend or one of your pastors. They will be delighted to help you make that life-changing transition that makes all the difference now and throughout eternity. Become an imitator of God, one of his dear children, one who has been saved by the blood of his son, one who walks in his footsteps. That's what it means to be a Christian. Let's have a song. Mm -hmm.